I look at the calendar and see it's been three weeks since I made a podcast. I hope you didn't lose faith when you didn't see a new story pop up. I've been worried about the condition of Mama and Razzie. I told you a couple of weeks ago that Mama seemed to be improving, but it wasn't true. She got more listless and skinnier. I had figured it was parasites and gave her a deworming treatment, but nothing happened. Funny, the same medicine had worked fine last year. It got so bad I looked for a local vet who worked with goats. I really had to work to find one. You have a dog, a cat, a horse, or a cow? No problem finding a veterinarian here. I finally found one, Dr. Lewis. He has a mobile practice, travels around five counties. Mainly, he's a horse doctor, but he also works on goats. We spoke on the phone last Friday. He said it was normal for goats to have problems with parasites, especially two months after giving birth. Their resistance is down. He recommended I take a stool sample from each of them and take it to the Western North Carolina Diagnostic Lab for a McMaster's test. He also recommended that I get a bottle of ivermectin sheep drench. Never heard of that stuff before. Also useful for goats. He told me those parasites were getting resistant to many medicines and we had to find one that worked. So I collected stool samples and Dawn dropped them off at the lab. She also picked up a bottle of that ivermectin, which is a liquid and it's administered orally. I'd forgotten to ask Dawn to buy a syringe. Clifton said, I'll give you one. I didn't pay close attention to the size he gave me. I get down to the goats and put them up one at a time in the stanchion. Mama first. I had to hold open her mouth, push the end of the syringe to the back of her throat and squirt in the medicine. And that small syringe that he gave me only held about a third of the dose. So I had to repeat this process two more times. Then I had to do it to Razzie. You ever have to hold open a goat's mouth to squirt medicine into its throat? They're not happy creatures during this process. But... I got them all dosed up. So we got the results of the exam on Monday. Yes, they do have a parasite problem. Mama's is the worst. But she has improved since Friday. Her appetite is better. Her energy is better. Her spirit is better. And Razzie seems to be gaining back some weight. I'll get stool samples on Friday and take them in for more testing. We'll see if they need further treatment. I'm cautiously positive about their improvement. I'll give you an update in two weeks. I'll try not to give too much detail. This is Ernie Johnson, owner of Anashira. We make fine handcrafted goat milk soaps. People tell us that not only do they enjoy using them, but they see a difference in their skin. It's softer, not as dry. So if you suffer from dry skin in the wintertime, do yourself a favor and try some of our soap. If you're already familiar with the results, hey, buy some more. Go to our website, anashira.com. And don't forget to use promo code FALLSTORIES17 
for a 17% discount. That's Fall Stories 1-7 altogether. Well, folks, I think we need to go back to Berlin, where I was a student. There, you may remember that West Berlin was entirely surrounded by a wall and a death zone, preventing East Germans from escaping. I'll tell you more in this week's Story from Anashira. in West Berlin. I had eaten paella for the first time in a tiny Spanish restaurant in the middle of some nearly abandoned neighborhood. I loved that Spanish food. So I was finishing my first semester, what they called the winter semester. You may remember me talking about my pal, Jose Otero, the Spaniard who had helped me find two part-time jobs. Well, He started going out with a German girl named Andrea, and we hung around some. And She had a brother named Herbert, who was going out with a girl from our California program, a girl named Mary. We were all students, nobody very problematical. Well, maybe Mary. I remember she had long, long hair, brunette. She took special care of that hair. So one day at the end of January, we're sitting around talking, and Herbert says, Hey guys, semester break starts in a couple of weeks. What are you going to do? Von fängt das an? When does it begin? Middle of February. How long does it last? I said. Until middle of April. Two months? Two months, that's right. I was shocked. Ernst, does that seem too short? Oh, it seems long. We barely have 10 days, maybe only a week in California. Yeah, aren't you lucky to be here, says Herbert. We ought to take a trip somewhere exciting, said Andrea. Jose smiles and says, We should go to España. Get away from this cold weather. Oh my God, I said, I would love to go to Spain. We can eat boquerones and paella and drink red wine every day. You might get tired of eating paella every day, said Maria. No, knowing you, you could eat it every day. Vino tinto español, Spanish red wine, said Jose. That we can drink every day and it's very inexpensive. But how would we get there? I can't afford to fly. How far is it? said Mary. I know, I've driven several times, said Jose. It's about 2,500 kilometers. You know, Herbert and I know something about auto mechanics. I suggest we pool our money together and buy a used VW bus. They're cheap and don't use a lot of gas. Herbert says, An sehr gute Idee, excellent idea. We could all work for a month, get our money together, and then drive to Spain. How much money exactly do we need? asked Mary. Well, I figure about 2,600 Deutschmark for a VW that runs. It won't look like much. That's 400 marks a piece. 
figure about another 2,000 marks for all other expenses for a month. So that would be about $600 U.S. Boy, I had some work to do. We looked around at each other, and just like that, we said, let's go. So I cleaned rugs, asked for some more hours from my boss, Herr Gross, who fortunately had a lot of rugs to clean. I helped Jose in our other job of furniture moving when I could. Jose and Herbert found an old VW bus that seemed to be functional. So we packed up. We limited ourselves to a small suitcase apiece. Poor Mary. In the middle of March, we loaded up and took off. First thing was the border into East Germany at, Ma at Marienborn. It's on the Autobahn between West Berlin and Hanover, the busiest route in and out of Berlin. Jose had given us instructions on what not to take. No magazines or newspapers, no radios, no eels or asparagus either. Huh? He said no one could tell him about why those two items weren't allowed. I thought it was a pain to cross by train and bus and semi-truck, but those were cake compared to crossing in an old VW bus with a bunch of hippie-looking characters. There are over a thousand East German officials working 24 hours a day. The major portion of these were made up by Stasis, the members of the Staatssicherheitsdienst, the hated and feared state security service, one of the most effective and repressive intelligence and secret police agencies of all time. We hit the Grenzgebiet, the border zone, drive over an inspection pit. They went through every suitcase, patted us down, mirrors under everything. Three of us were taken to separate rooms for interrogation of our plans. Vorhin fahren Sie. Where are you going? Jose had counseled us to say we were going to France, which was true. We were going through it. The Stasis hate Spain. They hate fascists. They hate Franco. Better just not get started with all of that. And while we were waiting for them to finish looking for banned items, Jose said to me quietly, See that building over there? Uh-huh. That's the mortuary garage. They open every coffin to make sure that the occupant is really dead. Oh, my. Now I knew these communists were crazy. It took over an hour to clear that crossing. One thing that helped is that I had some books by Rosa Luxemburg, the Che Guevara, and Karl Marx. I had them to read in my quiet time. When the Fopos asked me why I was reading these books, I answered with a straight face. I'm trying to understand why so many people want to live in socialist societies. Jose almost choked when he heard me say this. We were fortunate that he held his composure. They finally told us to head out. We drove on the highway through East Germany. Can we stop and look around? asked Mary. Not on your life. We just keep moving along, said Jose. When we hit the crossing point at Helmstedt, it was similar but worse. 
They seemed sure that we were smuggling out some small East German rebel. They checked the gas tank, asked all the same questions again. It took even longer. Finally, we were waved through. A cursory glance at our passports on the West German side, and on we went. Oh, relief. We were all relieved. But that positive feeling ended shortly. Herbert was driving. Not even that fast. When we heard some strange noises from the back of the bus, from the engine. I'm concerned, said Herbert. Next exit, we pull off the Autobahn. So we pulled out at the small city of Helmstedt. They opened the cowling and studied the engine. It's bad. Somehow we had an oil leak. The engine is about to blow, said Jose. Can we save it? asked Mary. Uh-uh. We may only have a few more kilometers before it completely blows up. Jose and Herbert said we should find a junkyard, find a used engine. But we didn't know where to go. And of course, we had no cell phones, no way to communicate. Jose and I were about to hoof it to get some info when a policeman pulls up. He asks if we have a problem. Herbert told him our engine was on its last legs. He asked if there was an auto junkyard in Helmstedt. Sie haben Glück. You're lucky. There's one on the edge of town. You can follow me there if you make it. So off we limped to the Autofriedhof, the automobile cemetery. We were lucky. The owner was there and he understood our plight. He also loved Spain and wanted to practice his Spanish with Jose and some with Maria. Luckily, at that time, there were countless VW bugs and vans, what they called transporter or combi, in these auto cemeteries. And they were not in big demand at all then. We found one. It had been in a wreck, but had a working engine. The junkyard owner let us use his shop. He even jumped in to give a hand. They dropped the bad engine, removed the good engine from the wrecked car, lifted it up and installed it into our bus. Herbert said, It's not all that complicated. The three of them knew what they were doing and had the engine bolted in by nightfall. We decided to sleep there. It would be uncomfortable but we would save some money and get an early start. The motor's in. It's bolted up, they chanted. Herbert, we now have only to connect the wires, the heater, the heater cable, and the fuel. We'll do that in the morning and be on our way. We ate some sausage, cheese, and bread, and a couple of glasses of red wine and slept some, not very well, and we were up early in the morning. They were right. By midday, we were on our way. Many thanks to Mr. Junkyard Man. He had been very gracious and helpful. We promised to bring him some bottles of Spanish wine on our way home. So we drove and drove. The guys rotated at the wheel. We didn't do a lot of sightseeing on the way down. Our ears were constantly focused on the sounds of that engine. It sounded pretty good. 
It took us two long days and nights to get to the border of Spain and France. Jose again coached us on dealing with Spain under a dictator. Remember, nobody has any rights here, unless your name is Franco. Police dressed in gray are security police. We call them grises, grays, but never to their faces. The drug laws are draconian. If you're caught with a single joint, the standard sentence is six years and a day. There's no probation. Lots of young people doing hard time here. So let's drink wine and beer and water. That was basically it. We crossed and gassed up the bus. Cheaper gas in Spain. There was a small restaurant connected to the station. We ordered coffees and Jose said we should have bocadillos, baguette with cheese like a queso manchego and sausage like a Spanish chorizo. This chorizo was made with pork and sweet paprika and garlic. No mustard, no mayo, no pickles, no lettuce. I took a bite and yes, I was hungry, but that bite of bocadillo made me fall in love with Spain. Maria, you never told me Spain was this great. Why did you not tell me? Herbert's reaction was about the same. Jose watched us. His face lit up with a huge smile. Ah, senores, I can see I brought the right people to my country. The next day, we arrived in Barcelona, in Catalonia. We stayed for the first time in a Spanish pension. We picked the cheapest we could find. We found out that the women stayed in one area and the men in another. Common rooms, like camp. Common bathrooms, shared by many people. The worst was a curfew, 11 p.m. That was ridiculous, especially for Spain, even in Catalonia, with its high work ethic. Dinner was between 9 and 10, and on the weekends one might not eat until 11 or 12. None of us wanted to sleep on the street, so we ate early and made it back on time. We checked out of that place the next day. And needless to say, we were much more careful about our pensiones in the future. A few more pesetas and we could have private rooms, often with no curfew. We never had a key to the main door of these places. You had to knock or ring a bell. The door would be opened by a portero, a doorman. And the later you get home, the longer it would take the portero to open the door and the crabbier he would be. So we walked the city and saw the sights, Gaudí's Sagrada Familia, his sacred family cathedral, his Casa Mila and his Casa Bayo, the Picasso Museum, nights we'd spend on the Ramblas, this pedestrian street filled with cafes and musicians, lots of people. In those days, there weren't nearly as many tourists. It was just a vibrant street. After a few days, Jose said, it's about time to see where I'm from, Madrid. So off we went, heading south to Madrid. I'd love drinking coffee. They made their coffee Italian style with an espresso machine. The first phrase I used regularly was, 
un café solo, or uno solo, a small cup of strong black espresso. And it was cheap. The exchange rate in those days was about 70 pesetas to one dollar U.S. A five peseta coin was called a duro, a hard one. You could buy an espresso for a duro. Imagine, seven cents for a coffee. We got to Madrid and went to meet Jose's parents and brother. But we didn't go to their home. We met at a restaurant. Spaniards didn't do a lot of entertaining at their homes of people they didn't know, not in Madrid. And I suppose we were a kind of motley-looking crew. Better to not have us in your house. We met for dinner at 11 p.m. in a nice restaurant. We ate well and lots. I couldn't understand a word they said in Spanish, but Jose and Maria translated what they thought we should hear. And we walked back a little unsteadily to our pension. Say, what do you imagine the weather in Spain to be like? Hot? Right? Well, not in March. Not in Madrid, which lies at 2,200 feet altitude. And not that year. It was cold. Very cold. And the temperature in that pension? Even colder. If the high outside was 50 degrees in the daytime, and 35 degrees at night, it felt as cold in those old brick and concrete buildings with the drafts whipping through. We had to walk around with sweaters and caps and scarves inside. One evening, we decided we'll take a bath and head to the common bathroom. I run the water, only the hot, waiting for it to start to steam. I wait and wait not even lukewarm. After a while, ask Maria to go down to tell the manager. And after a while, they both come up. Maria walks in, followed by a short, stocky man with around a three-day growth of beard. He's wearing a sweater and a jacket with a woolen cap on his head. Maria says to me, he says they've never had a problem with their hot water before. I turn on the hot water tap again. It's still not even lukewarm. The man puts his hand under the water and pulls it out quickly, screaming, Ay, ay, me quema, me quema. Ay, ay, it's burning me, it burns. What can you say to that? That Castilian stubbornness. So we all took what I call German baths. A washcloth with little soap, wash down, rinse off, hopping up and down to ignore the cold. You dry off quickly with a towel that's about as thick as an old dish towel. All of us, that is, except for Jose. He said he was used to that temperature of bath water. He seemed to like the cold. I remember that we stayed in Madrid for Easter week, what they call Semana Santa, Holy Week. I've told you about the processions in Seville that I went with years later with my mom and dad. The processions in Madrid were even more impactful to me as it was the first time I'd ever seen them. More men in white peaked hoods than you can imagine. The clanking of chains, muffled drums. The next day we all sat down for coffee. Jose said, who wants to get out of this cold and go to the Mediterranean islands? 
Which islands? Well, we could take the ferry from Valencia and head to Mallorca, part of the Balearic Islands. We could stay there a week or so. That way we can give Ernst his authentic paella in Valencia. I was all for that. The VW bus was running well. No strange noises. They had hooked up the heater correctly, so we actually had warm air. Warmer than any hostel we had stayed in. Jose said, let's go to a place where I've always come to eat paella. You sit next to Malvarosa Beach. They have famous seafood paella, shrimp, mussels, calamares. I had thought that paella always included shrimps and mussels and seafood. But Jose explained it was in the middle of the 19th century in the fields near Valencia that workers would make a rice dish in a flat pan over a fire outside. They mixed in whatever they could find, such as snails and vegetables. For special occasions, they added rabbit or chicken or pork. That's authentic paella. And it's cooked over a wood fire. They'll bring us a big paella pan here to serve us all. It sounded great. I knew Hemingway's book, The Dangerous Summer, where he had written, Dinner at Pepica's was wonderful. It was here that he came after the bullfights at the fairs of Valencia. He'd mix his own sangria in the kitchen. He would serve the paella himself to his entourage from the famous huge paella pan. Little did I imagine that four years later, I would run with the bulls in Pamplona and drink wine in the same cafe where Hemingway sat year after year. So the paella there was great. Ah, oh, it was the best. The next day we went down to the docks and bought tickets on the ferry to Palma de Mallorca. The best fares were tickets that left at 10 p.m. and arrived at 6.30 in the morning. That island was out in the ocean. It took eight hours to get there. Nothing except stars to look at. We slept some in some uncomfortable chairs, drank a lot of coffee, and ate some very overpriced bocadillos. We were all a little crabby when we arrived, but Jose took us to a small pension. Well, they were all pretty small, where we dropped off our stuff and walked a few blocks on the Paseo Maritimo along the ocean to a small place that he knew. The sun was shining, it was warm, a slight breeze, we could smell the ocean. We sat at a table on a sleepy little plaza called Santa Fe on the edge of Old Town. Okay, you all need a delicious cup of coffee to pick up your spirits. And you have to eat the tostada con tomate, toast with tomato. And I followed his suggestion. Jose had never led me wrong about food. There was a table of locals playing cards and already drinking beer. I closed my eyes, relaxed, listened to the sounds of the quiet neighborhood of Sacalatrava. I could have stayed this way forever, but I didn't. And now I have to head out and go feed Mama and Razzy. I want to thank you for listening to these podcasts and for purchasing our soaps. I would also like to thank Anashira for sponsoring us. 
I made a change this week to encourage you all to buy more soap. Any purchases over $50, yes, $50 US dollars, will get free shipping. So use your Falls Stories 17 discount, save 17%, and save shipping costs with any purchase over $50. And you're way ahead on your Christmas shopping already. I am leaving you hanging in that cafe in Palma de Mallorca, but I promise to finish telling you how we ended our vacations in Spain and how I finished my year in West Berlin in my next Story from Anashira.